Welcome. You're listening to the Beaver Dam Baptist Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. If you would like more information about Beaver Dam Baptist Church or have questions about today's message, please visit us on the internet at www.bdbc.org. Well, thank you, ladies. Um, Excellent, as always, on the uh, piano and keyboard. Um, And Leslie, it is great to have you with us uh, this morning. I will say uh, I have had the privilege and opportunity uh, to visit Leslie in her country a couple different times with a group of folks from Beaver Dam and uh, had Easter uh, lunch in her apartment one year. And uh, can I just give a testimony of the, the wondrous working of the IMB? Um, We were doing ministry, my wife and I and a couple other folks from our church with uh, Leslie and and her crew, uh, we're doing beach ministry. And if you know anything about Leslie, uh, she's a bit of a wild card. And so we were trying to to do beach ministry there in her part of the world. And Leslie got bit by a stray dog. And this dog, we weren't sure if it had the mange, if it was ravenous, we didn't know if, you know, it was old yeller, we weren't real sure. Um, but we were in a place that most of you could not find literally on the globe and we were just kind of a little bit curious like I don't know what this is going to mean for for Leslie getting bit by this ravenous dog but the cool thing was she was able to make some texts some phone calls to some folks that took her and sent her to a hospital and so we were able to go to a hospital in another country on another part of the world and because of your continued giving to the cooperative program to things like Lottie Moon she didn't have to make an emergency call to to pay a deductible to pay her premium on her insurance but because of just a systematic intentional giving of folks like you she was able to get treatment in a hospital in her land and in her way so that she could continue to stay on the field and do the work that we've sent her out to do. And so sometimes we get, we get kind of, we want to celebrate these aha moments. And that's not an aha moment, but it is a cool moment of how you're giving to things like the Lottie Moon Christmas offering provide ongoing, systematic, routine, regular ministry all over this glorious globe. And so I just wanted to celebrate you and what you're doing on behalf of the Lord, even as Leslie's with us today. And I encourage you to come back tonight. Uh, Be here. We're going to have dinner. We're going to be on the third floor. It's going to be a fun night uh, as Leslie will be sharing. And you'll be able to get more insight into what is going on in her part of the world where she is ministering. And so today um, we have come uh, to God's Word and we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5. So you can begin flipping over in your copy of God's Word to Galatians 5 because it's not going to be on the screen today. I intentionally did not put it on the screen because I'm uh, a little bit of a curmudgeon in my old age and I believe that you ought to have a copy of God's Word and you should be looking in your copy of God's Word because just honestly, if I'm being honest with you, if you don't bring your Bible to church, I have no confidence that you're reading it Monday through Saturday. And so I'm just putting my money where my mouth is, so to speak, this morning. So you can blame me for that. Um, But prayerfully, you did bring a copy of God's Word. If you don't have one, man, we would love to get you one, okay? And so we're going to be in Galatians 5. But before we get there, I just wanted to ask a question and say, what do you do 
for your normative, regular time studying God's Word. We oftentimes call that a quiet time. We call it devotional time. We call it meditation. We call it um, uh, alone time. We, uh, you know, we have different terminology to, to speak about the, 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 the practice and the discipline as Christians to get into God's Word. And so I just wonder, what do you do for your daily time with the Lord? Do you have daily time with the Lord? Have you described that to your children, to your grandchildren? to your friends, to your neighbors? Or do you just merely assume that everyone that you have relationship with knows how to systematically read the word of God? We as a staff put a high priority on, on God's word. And so we, we yearly do a, a yearly Bible reading plan. And so I'm just curious, how many of y'all are doing the Bible reading plan that we produce here at the church? Anybody show of hands? Oh, awesome. What an encouragement. I love it. Yay. Um, and so that, that's what I'm currently doing. And so probably about mid-July, mid I got on the, the church's reading plan. I was doing other things before that. But just as we were starting into the New Testament, uh, I jumped in. And so I've been, I've been so much enjoying reading God's Word here lately. Um, wow. That sounded bad. But uh, really, um, the word has been coming to life because I've just been taking God's word and, and reading it. And then when I don't understand something, I go and try to figure it out. And then I come back and I'm writing in my Bible and connecting dots. And, and one of the things that struck me is, is we're now in the, in the church's reading plan. We, we read um, in 1 Thessalonians on Friday. Um, but as I've been reading through, one of the things that, that has, has jumped out at me is how ignorant I am of Paul's life. Like, I, I don't know, for some reason, I always want to put Paul at like 30 years old. Like his whole life, he lived at like 30 to 35, but, but that's not true. And, and I always forget like which letter he wrote when and like what's going on there. And so some of the things I've been doing is just, just writing down like, when did he write this letter? When did he write that letter? And how does this fit together? And where's he writing it from? And trying to, to overlay that with his, his missionary journeys and, and just how all those things fit together. Because I think, uh, or for me, as I've seen those things, the scripture is just popping out at me. And I, I say all that to say, you know, to read God's word. Are you making it a point to study and to read God's word? Because I want to confess that as I've been reading the word of God, I have been greatly convicted and encouraged. And one of the things, or the, really the, the thesis for, for the sermon this morning is gonna come out of how God just convicted me in my, in my quiet time, in my daily time just reading through God's word. And we'll get to that here in just a moment. But I, but I wonder, are you reading the word of God on a, on a daily basis? Because I believe that is fundamental to who we are as children of God. We must be anchored in the word of God. And so this morning, like I said, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5. And so one of the things um, that, 
that I need to just be transparent about is it's hard for me when I only get to preach a couple times a year to, to kind of figure out a rhythm with you guys as far as what you're wanting and what I want to give you and kind of how we're doing things. And so I'm just confessing this morning, this is, this is a sermon that the Lord has hit me uh, square between the eyes with, and I'm praying that it's helpful and beneficial to you as a congregation as it has been for me as an individual. And so you know, thank the Lord. Alan will be back in the office tomorrow, uh, and he'll be back in the pulpit next Sunday. Um, and so this morning, we're in Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 to 15. And so I'm going to read these, these, these uh, three verses and then uh, set up our, our sermon title uh, and our, our three points for this morning. So Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 to 15. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And so this morning I've entitled um, our sermon, A Christian is to Love not merely to exist in a symbiotic relationship, all right? And so I've got this, this slide up here, right, of this, of this crocodile and this bird, right? And so I, I'm not, biology's not my skill set. That's, there's, I don't have a lot of skill sets, but um, science is not one of them. Uh, one of my sons loves science and loves animals, and so this is somewhat of a, 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 I don't know, I'm doing it for him, I guess. But a Christian is, is, is to love, not merely to exist in a symbiotic relationship. And a symbiotic relationship, you may be fuzzy on your, uh, on your science, but that's a relationship where, where both people are both um, animals, right? It's, it's typically a, a biological term um, that it, they, they benefit from one another. And so to me, this picture of the crocodile and this bird, right, we would typically assume that that crocodile is going to chomp that bird, right? It's right there. It's in the mouth. But the crocodile doesn't eat the bird. Why? Because the bird is literally eating the, the meat that is stuck in the crocodile's teeth, eating that meat so that the crocodile benefits from, from getting this dental work done while the bird gets a meal. And so they, they benefit one from another. So they have a, a common bond, a common interest, and they, they, they don't destroy each other. And let's be honest, the bird would never destroy the crocodile. But the crocodile does not destroy the bird because the crocodile needs the bird in his life. And so this morning, I don't know if you're a crocodile or you're a bird. That's not what I'm about, okay? Um, but that, that may be a husband-wife conversation on the way home today. I don't know, but whatever. But my my thesis this morning is this. Do we as Christians, and I'm assuming that most of us in the early service, the, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, I'm assuming that most of us would be professing believers. We would say, I'm a believer, I'm a follower of Christ. My question is this, is do you love others or do you merely love those who are lovely, those who love you? Or do you simply obey the word of God to love others? 
You see, I told you, as I was reading God's word over the last few weeks, I, by God's word, was convicted that there are people in my life that, that I, I, I don't, I don't want to love them. I don't want to love them because they, the way they treat me. And, and I, I was convicted, God literally, uh, he didn't speak to me in an audible voice, but I do believe it was through God's word and meditating on his word. It was almost like an audible voice to say, Scott, you want person X to love you. That, that's not your prerogative. I've told you to love them regardless of how they treat you. You are to love them. And so this morning, I've got to believe in a room this size, I'm not the only person that struggles with that. I've got to believe as I watch our society just chaos, that we in this church, in this community, are not immune to falling prey to only loving those who are lovable. And I want to encourage you, as God has encouraged me by his word, that he has a word unto us. He has hope. He has plans. He has desires for us. And so at the outset this morning, are you a loving person? Are you a loving person? I mean... And I, I use this analogy oftentimes, it's like the bad driver. Nobody wants to admit they're a bad driver. But, but are you a loving person? And I, I want to dig in a little deeper to say, who was the last person that's not biologically related to you that you said, I love you? I love you. Maybe a friend, maybe it was, you know, somebody you went to Dollywood with. And you just, just say, man, I love you. Thanks for being my friend. Thanks, thanks for, for, for hearing me out. Thanks for always being there. You see, I think there are people that we genuinely do love, but I, I think we, we struggle to say I love you to other people. And so I just wonder, who was the last person that you're not related to, you're not married to, you didn't birth, that you said, I love you too. Because I, I think that what, I, what I'm hopefully trying to do is to, to set the table that, that we may have a, a conception of ourselves that is not being played out in real time and in real ways in our real life. And so, are you a loving individual? And so I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay out three points, I think, that, that describe or that, that reveals to us that a Christian is to love, not merely to exist in a symbiotic relationship. I believe three things. Christ brings freedom. Two, freedom causes, causes love. And three, love produces service. And so we're going to break down these, these three points to see what we're getting at today. Christ brings freedom. Verse 13. You see, I believe we are to love, and I believe we are to love because of what Christ has done for us. We've sung about that. We've sung about the blood of Jesus 
as we often do. We always do that, right? Aaron does a phenomenal job of, of theologically preparing our hearts and our minds by the words that we're articulating through a rhythm and through a means of musical underlay. He does that intentionally to prepare and to tune our hearts away from maybe the things that we think about and the things that we celebrate through the week to get our minds ready to encounter the Word of God. And so we, as Christians, we understand that Christ changes everything. He changes everything. He brings freedom. We see this verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. What does Paul mean by freedom? Well, one of the cool things when you're reading through God's word is you pick up on phrases and words that authors intentionally use. You see, Paul writes differently than um, Peter or John, right? He, he has a different style. He has a different personality. And that's the cool thing about God is he, as he inspired the authors of scripture from cover to cover, he used their unique personalities and their, their, their idiosyncrasies, so to speak. He, he, by his Holy Spirit, he infused them to write what he wanted them to write, but they wrote it in a way that was, that was different one from another. We see that in the gospel writers, right? Some of us love different gospels because of their, their flavor or their, their uh, tenor, right? Like, we, we, we're encouraged by them differently. And so we see from Paul that as you're reading Paul, and one of the things that I, I've really been, been trying to, to do in, in my quiet time is, is to try to like annotate my Bible a little bit, right? Like, um, and I'm, I'm somewhat OCD. And so like a color-coded scheme of like using pens and markers to underline things and to highlight things and circle things and write things and trying to, trying to be consistent in that. And so sometimes that's a struggle. Um, but one of the things as, as you read through chunks of scripture, you see um, re repeated words or phrases. And one of these things is, is freedom, right? And so we pick up this word here in, in verse 13, the freedom, but look back at the beginning of that chapter in verse one, right? For freedom, verse, uh, verse one of chapter five, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And so it, it appears that maybe Paul is talking about something a little bit different than American nationalism. That his, his freedom that he's getting at is not the, the freedoms and the liberties that you and I as Americans get to celebrate and get to enjoy, but maybe he's talking about something a little bit different. We'll go back, walk it back a little bit further into verse or chapter four, and we see a little bit more insight into what Paul's talking about here. Look at chapter four, verses one to nine. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. Verse 3, in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Verse 6, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. 
Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? Friends, Christ has come to set us free. That is great news. That is why we ultimately celebrated on Thursday. Yeah, it's great that we live in the nation that we live in. It's great that we have a roof over our head and we have family and we have food on the table. All those things are great and we should rejoice in those means of grace. But we as Christians gather every single Lord's Day collectively to say, great is the name of Jesus. Have you lost sight of the freedom that Christ has given you? Have you experienced the freedom that only Christ brings? You may have sat in these pews for many years and many decades and you have never fully comprehended. You have never fully become alive by the Holy Spirit's working. Friends, please do not tarry any longer. Would you allow the Lord by his spirit, by his truth, by his sending of the Father, would you allow God to set you free? I pray that you would. I pray that those of us like me that have been believers for some time, that we would live as though we were free. You see, we ultimately are going to love other people because we understand that Christ first loved us. Any of you that know me know and you've heard me say we love because he first loved us. If you've been to my office, you've seen it written on my wall. And so this isn't a new theological understanding for me and most likely for you. But friends, we must be reminded we must be reminded. That's why we gather in community together. Because sometimes we need smacked on the back of the head to be like, what is your problem? I need that. You need that. Because sometimes we, we get just caught up in things of this world. We get caught up in our circumstances. We get caught up in just a lot of things that are antithetical to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we need to be reminded afresh again. And so friends, do you? understand that Christ sets the captives free. You see, Paul, in this specific letter that he's writing to the church there in Galatia, which is um, located in Central Asia, if you just want to uh, get crazy about it here, and so we could get more into that. Uh, but anyway, uh, he's writing this letter to these churches that he planted on his first missionary journey. And I believe he's writing before the Jerusalem Council, and I believe this is his first letter that he's writing. Um, and so, so Paul's writing back to these believers and they're, they're struggling with an issue that, that we don't struggle with today, right? They're, they're struggling with circumcision. That's a, that's a big thing that he's talking about throughout this letter. And he's talking about that letter because there are people that are saying one thing with their mouth and believing in doing something else with their life. And what, what Paul's saying, he's like, look, Christ is the answer. You are justified by Christ alone. 
And so friends, may we never lose sight of that. And may we never be so arrogant to think, well, pff, I'm not ever gonna do that. Hey, if you just flip back and you look in like chapter three, I think it is, where, where Paul calls out the great apostle Peter for doing the very thing. He also calls out Barnabas for doing the exact same thing. And friends, I don't know about you guys, but I know this, this boy right here, Scott Hood, he's no Peter, he's no Barnabas. And if those boys can fall prey to ignorant thinking and ignorant living and unbiblical faithfulness, I know I can. And I wanna be humble enough to admit I've got faults, I've got failures, I've got problems. And I've already confessed it to you. I don't always love people like I should. I wanna be better because my king deserves better. My king's love for me demands better. We are to love because Christ brings freedom. Jesus has set us free, hallelujah. So not only that, not only does Christ bring freedom, but secondly, we see freedom causes love. Freedom causes us to love. Look back at, at chapter five, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Freedom causes love. We see Paul introducing this juxtaposition between flesh and love. What does he mean by not giving opportunity to the flesh? Like, what are you talking about, Paul? That's a great question. Well, guess what? He answers it. Look down in, in chapter 5, um, verses 16 and following. Paul gives us insight of what he's talking about. Verse 16 of chapter 5. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. They compete. For those are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You see, Paul lists several manifestations of the flesh. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. There are many things in which we need help unpacking theologically and relating and we need the the body of Christ to help us with those things friends this list is not one of those things we could spend 15 weeks unpacking these 15 manifestations but the but the pure and simple fact of it is is are these characteristic of our life and I know you're like me and you would just quickly say absolutely not not you know some of these like, like what like can you say that in church um, but, but once again, friends, are these things characteristic of us? And I'm, and I'm not saying 
let me, uh, let me actually say this. Every believer in this room, on this stage, struggles from time to time with something in this list right here, okay? So, so let's just be honest about that, all right? Paul's not saying you're perfect. Paul's saying if these things are, are the, the rhythm, are the, are the story, are the trajectory of your life, then it says, he says there, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so it may be this morning that you need to look at this list and say, I think I'm going to heaven, but I do this all the time. Maybe you need to analyze and say, am I truly a believer? Has this got a hold on my life to such a degree that I am going to forfeit my eternity with the Lord? And so I believe it should be a wake-up call to some of us to say, maybe I'm more fleshly than I would give credence to. Friends, we don't work in order to earn our salvation. But the, the... the manifestations, the actions of our lives reveal where our heart lies. And so, I think Paul lays out here two lists. We've looked at the flesh, right? Those are the ones who will not inherit the kingdom of God. What does he say about those who are walking by the Spirit? Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. The believer should not be marked by those manifestations of the flesh. Instead, a believer should be marked by the fruit of the Spirit. We see these nine uh, qualities here. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so I must ask, which list more accurately describes you? Does the fruit of the Spirit mark your life are you known for those things let me ask you this is our church known for the fruit of the spirit you see our church is only made up of believers and as believers we are to individually walk in the spirit and if we're walking in the spirit We are naturally, we are just, the Holy Spirit is oozing out of us in these ways that Paul describes here. And so as a church, would we be guilty of being labeled self-controlled, gentle, faithful, good, kind, patient, full of peace, full of joy, full of love? You see, our church is only as pure, healthy, and or obedient as its individual members. And so are we, friends, not are they, but are we, let's be honest, 
and evaluate, are we walking by the Spirit? Are we walking by the Spirit? Once again, that does not happen by just rolling out of bed. It happens by being daily immersed in the Word of God. Because the, the, the pull of the flesh in each one of us, this side of glory, is strong. It is so strong. And we have got to mortify. We've got to put to death, right? I, I think of John the Baptist's uh, declaration when he saw Jesus. And he said, I must decrease, he must increase. And I wonder, is that your, your daily aim and prayer as you get out of bed that I must put to death, Scott, the, the, the sins of the flesh. I must mortify the desires of the flesh and I must immerse myself in the word of God. And as John Piper says that we, we bang our head against the word of God until the word of God comes out of us. Is that the type of follower of Christ that we are? I believe that's what we see personified in the pages of the New Testament. So Christ brings freedom, freedom causes love, and finally love produces service. Look back at verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. How do we serve one another? Well, what's verse 14 say? For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I know there are, there are some in here that, that don't love themselves. And that, that's, a, that's a point that we need to do a better job of unpacking. And I, it's not the focus for this morning, but I do want to encourage you this morning. If you're struggling to love yourself, which is not everybody, I don't think it's the majority. I think by, by large measure, those of us in here, we love ourselves. We think probably, or not probably, I think we think more high, highly of ourselves than we ought to. But there are people in here that, that don't cognitively, emotionally, psychologically, they don't, they don't love themselves. And can I just encourage you, just a, a couple of things I jotted down to encourage you this morning. If you're a Christian and you're struggling with that this morning, can I just tell you five things? One, you're an image bearer. You're an image bearer of the triune God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You have been purchased by the blood of Christ. If you're a Christian, you have been purchased by the blood of Christ. You have the eternal Holy Spirit living within you. And Ephesians 2.10 tells us you are a masterpiece of the intentional architect of all of creation. Why would you have a horrible view of yourself? God has revealed a glorious plan for you. He has revealed a glorious reality. May we all teach ourselves truth, teach our emotions, our our psyche truth by God's word not by the garbage that comes to all of us 24 7 but we are to love others and we're to love them intentionally Christ says we're to love them as you love yourself so practically speaking do you give people the benefit of the doubt do you give people the benefit of the doubt or are you quick to write them off you see I I've discovered that I like people to give me the benefit of the doubt. Like when people assume 
something that I think is anti what everything my life has been about, that frustrates me. But I, I discovered once again, as the Holy Spirit was, was refining me and continues to refine me, he's making me what I ought to be. Um, I, I discovered that, that sometimes I wrongly um, assume the worst in other people, right? Like, like just concretely, right? Like somebody doesn't call me a jerk, but I'm thinking like, well, they think I'm a jerk. Well, did they call you a jerk? Talk? Well, no. Well, they did this and that, but are you? And I, I've discovered that I, I want to impose my stinking thinking on other people. And I just wonder, are you guilty of that as well? Do you impose on other people things that they have or have not said, have or have not done? And so I think that sometimes we think poorly of people because we assume things that may or may not be true, but we're assuming them, right? And friends, we should not assume. Give people the benefit of the doubt. Christian, you must choose to love others. We must choose to love others. We are to love when it's easy, which would be like, oh yeah, I can do that. We're to love when it's hard, what? We are to love when we don't want to. Let's be honest and say sometimes we just don't want to love our spouse, our kids, our parents, our coworkers, our employees, our boss. We don't want to. Just don't want. And we're not like a little toddler pitching. I mean, that's, that's really how we are. That's why, I, oh man, it's so humbling to have children. And you see them throwing a tinter tantrum and you're just like, seriously? And it, praise God, oftentimes he just is like, seriously? And I'm like, sorry. Because we, man, we try to act, man, we dress right and we part our hair and we comb and we, we play the game and we, we think we got it together. In reality, we're still just that groveling little toddler before a holy and righteous God. And all I'm saying is confess that. Cry out to God, Abba, Father. Next week in Sunday school, we're gonna look at that, that concept, Abba, Father. I, uh, I had the privilege and in, uh, in, um, went to Jerusalem, sitting on the airplane. I heard this little toddler sitting right behind us, being a toddler, and he kept saying, Abba, 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 talking to his dad. And it hit me. That's how, that's how my heavenly father is. Daddy, 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 daddy. Do you cry out to God? Are you broken over your sin and your rebellion? Do you, do you humble yourself before others to say, you know what? God has, has, has given me his unmerited favor. The least I can do is put up with a cantankerous, honorary jerk of a human like Scott Hood. He, ha, he has nothing intrinsically valuable in and of himself, but he is your creation and I'm gonna love him. Regardless as if Scott ever loves me, I'm gonna love him. And so as we close today, I just want us to come face to face with the reality of, are we loving others? Regardless of how they treat us, are you loving others? Let us pray. Father God, you are a great and glorious God. God, your word tells us 
that we are to humble ourselves and love other people. And so, Lord, I pray that we would embody your words, your words to the the church in Philippi in chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So God, would you give us humility? Humility before you and before others. We pray in the name of Christ, amen.